Welcome to Scandal.K12.us. Our Scandal K12 curriculum is a true crime comedy podcast about bamboozling boards, sneaky superintendents, lame learning products, and teachers who are way too cool for school. Listener discretion is always advised. Now sharpen those pencils since today you're going to want to take a lot of notes. Everything in life is on a standardized test and the answer is always 42. And now, time for morning announcements. Good morning, Scandal K-12 students, home of the Fighting Rats. Go Rats! Let's stand for the state anthem. Oh boy, enough of that. Thanks, Scandal K-12 Glee Club. You really outdid yourselves there. See you at yard time. Everyone knows that California is years ahead of the rest of the country. California was the first in the nation to launch a lot of things, such as legalize weed, end hair discrimination, ban fur, and implement the California Achievement Test. The land of milk and honey state is known for Venice Beach, Norma Desmond, the Golden State Killer, Yosemite National Parks, wineries, Mediterranean climate, and currently known that all of that is, and every year will be, on fire. Don't forget, today is a B-Day schedule. Classes start 20 minutes sooner than the late bell that was programmed in 1968 warns you about. First up in our educator shout-outs, Molly Hone, a currently on-leave teacher at Ivanhoe Elementary. It seems that Hone struck and injured a cyclist late one night coming home from whatever an adult does after 10 p.m. on a weeknight. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your teachers are? Hone was arrested after a surveillance tape showed her blue Mini Cooper allegedly run smack into a cyclist who was in the middle of the road going the opposite direction at 11.54 p.m. While accidents happen, and who knows who was at fault, leaving an accident, especially one where there's a fatality or profound injury, is a felony in the state of California. According to KNX 1070 AM, celebrating 100 years of keeping brake and muffler shops with staticky radio to listen to while you're in the waiting room. Speaking of mechanics, the call was made to police when a repairman who had seen reports about the crash on television since Hone was caught with a classic two-camera security camera film shoot. Thanks, Surveillance Society. Hone was arrested at the Silver Sands Racket Club, a gated condominium community where a three-bedroom, two-bath starts at 399000 and she was charged but released on $50,000 bail and is working on fighting the case. According to her lawyer, a four-star attorney on Yelp.com and specialist in DUI, DWI, and insurance claims. There is nothing to tie my client to this location. Don't drink and drive, but if you do, call me. For the time being, Hone won't be teaching fifth grade, but I think in the long run, she's taught us a valuable lesson. Whether you are tied to the location or not, when your car strikes someone smashing the entire windshield, just check to see if the person's okay, even if it wasn't totally your fault. Hey students, track tryouts are canceled in observance of a holiday. What holiday? Those who observe it condemn those who name it. This morning we want to recognize a 13-year-old student who was arrested after police seized an assault-style rifle and a list of potential targets in connection with a reported threat at Amino May Jemson Charter Middle School. According to the Washington Post, Jeff Bezos's potential third estate, they found a hand-drawn map of Amino May Jemson Charter Middle School in South Los Angeles and a list containing names of students and staff members. This is the most notable but not the first issue with the school. The school has had a questionable past and is currently rated one star 
by the aggregate of anonymous ratings on a system on greatschools.org. One alleged parent made the specious online claim, I doubt it very seriously. They barely can handle all the students they have. It's got to be 200 or more kids at the school, 30 to 40 kids per class, and none of them are learning anything. Whatever the learning goals of the school are, user Brenda Walsh posted on Newsbreak.com, a Philippines-based leader in clickbait, and the 19th James V. Ogpin Awards for Excellence in Journalism, an award given out also by a Philippines-based Center for Media Reform and Responsibility, to comment on the story. The sad part is the kid is only 13, and this happened in California, and California is very lenient when it comes to juvenile crimes, so he'll probably be out sooner rather than later, and he's going to come out of juvie hall even more pissed at those kids who told on him, and he's going to come out looking for them for revenge. If I were the parents of one of those kids at the school, I would change schools ASAP. To which a poster on Newsbreak, Brenda Walsh, responded, and we will read the original verbatim with the provided punctuation. So what is 13? You should get the death penalty, and so should you for making stupid comments there, homie J. Clown McCulty. Ding dong, need that part of my job? No, Melrose, over at Bliss Boutique, options for metaphysically speaking, we find bonds when we can't do anything else because we are crazy. Bon, ow, jovi, crazy. Whoa, Grammarly.com. Help out Brenda Walsh there. This thwarted alleged school shooter apparently posted their intent on Snapchat. Who are we kidding? We know it's a male since mass shooters between 1982 and 2002 are 189.655% more likely to be male than female, according to Statistica.com. Also, we thought snaps vanished after they were seen. Ugh, or was that ghostly? Eee, we better check our account settings. While we don't know conclusively whether Snapchat was primarily used to communicate this domestic terrorism, we also don't know if the student used a personal computer or school-provided device to access social media or buy guns and ammo online. Increasingly, districts are providing technological devices to students, and most students use their school-provided equipment to access lessons, tech products, and join synchronous, asynchronous, or blended classes and not plan heinous crimes. Many schools have moved in the past two decades to get away from gunky laptop carts and have joined forces with tech leaders to provide each student with an individual device, what districts call one-to-one. -one. one such school-provided device is an iPad, and one such district that sought to bring these into the hot little hands of their students was LAUSD that led to a madcap caper we're calling scandal.k12.us forward slash the third man. Los Angeles Unified School District is the second largest school district in the nation after New York City. That is roughly over 600,000 students in K-12 schools across 960 square miles. In 2013, according to Wikipedia, the district approved a $1.3 billion plan with Apple and Pearson PLC to provide every student, teacher, and administrator in the district with an iPad. Like most schools in the 21st century, LAUSD wanted to provide each and every student with a device of some kind in what NPR called the most expansive school technology initiative in the country. The iPad is a very well-known device designed in Cupertino, California by Apple, but manufactured by Hanhai Precision Industry, a Taiwanese company better known as Foxconn in the United States and Taiwan 
better known as China, least an army of communist trolls started attacking this page to involve this podcast in Asian territorial disputes. Foxconn has most of its actual assembly operation in the People's Republic of China in a city called Chonghuan. While the iPad has not led to workers organizing to commit mass suicide, that was the Xbox 360. According to AppleInsider.com, these iPads are made cheap enough that outfitting each child in LAUSD was no longer a financial impossibility by 2013. The Apple iPad of 2013 provided a platform for audiovisual media, including electronic books, periodicals, films, music, computer games, presentations, and web content. The education and technology publications breathlessly extolled the move of the large-scale purchase, creating almost 700,000 new iPad users instantly. Education Drive, a leading publication operated by Industry Drive, according to Education Drive, listed 17 key benefits from switching to iPad education, including putting students in charge of the learning experience, replacing textbooks, filling teacher shortages, and closing the digital achievement gap. Now, along with district purchases, according to Education Dive, students will be responsible for purchasing apps. Some required for specific courses will come with a slight discount, which, of course, makes a lot of sense and a lot of dollars for tech bros. The three key players in the iPad for All deal need some introduction. Of course, there is Apple. Now, it's estimated that Apple spends about $1.8 billion on advertising, at least in 2017. So you better know Apple or few heads have to roll. Then there is Pearson, PLC, a.k.a. Pearson. Now, Pearson is a publisher of books. You know, those things with paper that have words on them, occasionally pictures of a big red dog. Or wait, is that scholastic? Hmm. Actually, Pearson was founded as a construction company business in the 1840s, but switched to publishing in the 1920s because it's the same type of work. I can just imagine the retraining of those hard hat wearing roughnecks Oi, Lemmy, put down the Emma. We making Nancy Drew now. Whatever the origin story, Pearson became the largest education company and was once the largest book publisher in the world, according to Wikipedia. If you cracked open a book in the world, it was likely a Pearson textbook or other publication. If you tossed that said book out the cracked open window, the school needed to replace that book at a very high cost. Now, textbooks have been big business for generations, and the sticker shock that you may have felt at the college bookstore for your Anthro 101 textbook being sold at $125 used has already been felt by schools for decades, where currently textbook expenditure can be $200 to $300 per student per year, having increased in cost 1,041% since 1977, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, let's take a step back and put that price into perspective to give you some idea of that increase. A gallon of milk was $1.68 in 1977. But let's take another step back because to give you an idea of the cost complexity of pegging inflation to any single commodity, dairy was heavily subsidized in 1977 by the U.S. government in order to keep prices down. It seems a $2 billion subsidy buys so much milk they had to turn it into cheese. And then they eventually had so much cheese they had a stockpile that hit over 500 million pounds and was stored in warehouses in 35 states. Um, so we're not sure the true cost of these staples as a yardstick, but we know that books are expensive and the most expensive things create a lot of wealth. Much of that wealth was in the pockets of Pearson. At the golden age of the textbook, Pearson was trading about $40 a share in the 1990s. It all seemed well. But after many years of decline, 
Pearson was looking for that next market and put all its eggs and milk into digital curriculum and education technology. Then there's a third player, the third man in this story, the school superintendent, John Dacey. John Dacey stands out among educational apparatchiks, according to Broad Center, an institution to support outstanding professionals now located at Yale University, a historically white male college. Dacey had a few key characteristics. Dacey is said to have a no-nonsense crew cut, a snappy New England accent, and a memorable handshake. The handshake was expanded upon by Los Angeles Magazine, and you know you've gotten one which, according to them, a thrust of the forearm, a vigorous grasp, a single hard pump carrying all the electric force of a defibrillator. Oh my, Mr. Dacey, is that a handshake or are you just happy to see me? Dacey started as head of LAUSD in 2011. Now, 2011 was a banner year for the United States. Obama was president. Nancy Pelosi was the 111th Speaker of the House. The economy recovered from the debacle of 2008, at least for major corporations. And Osama bin Laden was killed by SEAL Team 6, who either chopped up his body and dumped it into the Indian Ocean, or just dumped it somewhere, or buried it in a grave in Pakistan, depending on what version you believe. Now, Los Angeles had it tough. After years of UFO sightings around the world, Los Angeles had become a battlefield, at least according to the bloated box office flop, World Invasion, released in 2011. Also in 2011, the Los Angeles Dodgers, now for those of you under 80, they were known as the Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, they went into $150 million bankruptcy after these two team owners went through a very messy Hollywood-style divorce. Also, Occupy Wall Street had commenced with educated middle-class youth setting up tent cities next to the already existing homeless tent cities that had been there for decades and which later were dismantled by 1,350 police who raided Occupy Los Angeles to sort out the intentionally homeless from the actual homeless. Dacey had his work cut out for him. As head of what could be considered a small country, he was compensated a meager $485,634 a year, according to Transparent California, a project of the Nevada Policy Research Institute, itself a product of the Koch Institute, itself a project of the Koch brothers. Thus, he has to first address a ruling by a Superior Court judge that ruled that Los Angeles Unified must include measures of student progress, including scores on state standardized tests when evaluating teachers and principals. In the words of the blog, TheEducatedGuest.org, this strengthened Superintendent John Dacey's push to move forward with a complex value-added system of measuring individual students' progress on state standardized tests called academic growth over time. Now, remember, this was a, the age of the Common Core, a heady time when California and 44 other states in the District of Columbia were adopting the Common Core state standard. Basically, the bastard child of the 2002 no Child Left Behind Act's need for national standards, or Nickleby. The Common Core State Standards, or CCSS, or was the first ever national framework that forced individual states to stop using their own state standards and adopt a unified set of student expectations nationwide, or at least for participating states. LAUSD had to drop using their own state standards in order to get that No Child Left Behind federal dollars, and they got a jump on implementing the dream of Nickleby, California took their standards in 2012 and started preparing students then so that by 2014 the system would be compliant. This meant throwing out a lot of things and starting with a lot of new other things. Because of the Common Core adoption, textbooks were high on the list for replacement. 
There needed to be major changes with not only what students were using, but on what medium they used, with these old, bulky, backbreaking books being replaced by slender computers. Digital learning is designed to replace the textbook, not the teacher, said Judy Codling, managing director of the Common Core System of Courses for Pearson Education and main contact for LAUSD. Textbooks and Common Core are big money, and something's about to not add up. The state of California expected to spend from $380 million to $1.6 billion to implement the Common Core. LAUSD put out the first RFP. That's called a Request for Proposals. As you may already know from previous episodes, government agencies have a very different and often complex way of making purchases than the average person. One way is through setting out a scope of work in a long document and then looking at different bidders. And unlike shopping... Now, unlike shopping, where you may look at several stores for the cheapest can of cream corn, settling on Del Monte, King Colin, or Green Giant, after comparing these, maybe in your hand, these large-scale purchases are made by are made by teams working the procurement services divisions to evaluate each receipt proposal with an eye for the bang for the buck, but also to keep a level playing field. Because this is purchased by a government, the process has intentional secrecy. If the Green Giant knows what Del Monte is offering, they may drop the price or raise the cost or include a number of other incentives to lure you to their side. To make the process as fair as possible, these proposals are secret, sealed, and reviewed by various committees in order to vet them and then determine the winning bid. Again, this process is much the same for buying milk for the lunchroom in schools as it is equipping 700,000 students with iPads and the curriculum that will operate on them. Now, Daisy wanted value. All our youths deserve orange juice, not just orange drink, he is known to have said. Now, he had made orange juice for himself and orange juice for many select people for years. Before coming to LAUSD, Daisy had a long and storied career. We're going to look into his long and storied career just after the break. The second half of tonight's reading will resume... And now back to our main announcement. Mr. Desi, as head of Coventry Public Schools in Rhode Island, a small district in the nation's smallest state, climbed the ladder from principal to superintendent by 1996. He managed to get the Gates Foundation to pony up a lot of cash for a small district, especially his pay-for-performance initiative for Coventry teachers to lure them out of the laziness and sloth that teachers have with a $2,000 bonus if they scored at least 44 out of 50 on performance reviews over four years in a row. That's about $500 a year or enough before taxes to buy 297 gallons of milk for each of the four years if they bought that heavily subsidized milk in 1977. Daisy moved fast to expand Coventry School facilities, and in 1999, he unveiled an ambitious $34 million school construction plan. All he needed was a dollar in a dream. For the next almost two years, plans were made, dreams were proposed, and then he suddenly, unable to come up with the dollar, left the district. It is apparent that a farmer, school superintendent, had grand dreams for the Coventry School District. Tammy DeFore, the editor of the Coventry Courier, wrote, It is also apparent that Daisy skipped town without filling the rest of us in on how he intended to pay for those dreams. Leaving a sweet sorrow and what happens behind doesn't matter, even though Daisy left behind a mess. When John left, he 
The assistant superintendent left, the high school principal left, and all this is happening at once. We're in no man's land, said Joseph Butler, who served as chair of the Coventry School Committee. Ray Spears, the superintendent of Coventry, prior to Daisy, had less kind words. His legacy was a house of cards. Daisy saw the cards fall and jumped ship. According to SurfSantaMonica.com, the district who had inherited this change agent as he moved from the clammy, flinty shores of Rhode Island to the balmy breezes of Santa Monica, Malibu. And so, leaving behind a district of 6,000 souls, John Dacey moved out west, perhaps singing to himself the eternal words of the poet Art Alexis, better known as Everclear. Big black boots in my old suitcase do believe I'm myself a new place. I don't want to be the bad. I don't want to do your figure out how to pay for school facilities I initiated anymore. The palm trees of Santa Monica, Malibu seemed to fit Daisy for a time. The district was in financial trouble, as all districts are these days, and it got worse under Daisy. But no one blamed Daisy since it was a, a S show before he came there. To his credit, he was working hard to make that orange juice. Nessie was also working hard on obtaining higher credentials, a doctorate from a certainly not mail-order University of Louisville, a historically segregated land-grant university founded in 1789. However, it appears that the Santa Monica Malibu Kendall of a superintendent had senioritis and not taken as many classes as a typical mortal doctorate candidate needs to do when they're not connected to the Gates Foundation. The Courier-Journal in Louisville reported in 2004, three years after Dacey had been at his post in Santa Monica working on his tan lines, that although he had only completed nine credits or about a semester there, he was awarded a doctorate degree. It seems that this was all that was needed since he had completed more than 70 credits at, in their words, various other universities, according to additional reporting by the Baltimore Sun. Now, Various other universities sounds like what you tell your friends when one of your college programs was at a halfway house for young offenders. Whatever the fuzzy math of taking one semester to complete nine credits of research, write, submit, and defend a dissertation, there is a less than academic theory insinuated by some anti-Dacy fanboy reporters. Now, it seems that Dacy had a long-time relationship with Robert Fellner, his advisor, even studying under Fellner, Back in the flinty shores of Rhode Island, unlike most students, Stacy awarded Fellner a $375,000 contract while Fellner was his doctorate academic advisor and also dean of education at the University of Louisville. And then, uh, Dacey received his degree from the U of Lou in the mail, along with probably several coupons for wing night and Marchetti's restaurant in Cranston, Rhode Island, voted worst in the state by Chowhound 2010. Now, apparently, Fellner was to use this money for his National Center on Public Education and Social Policy, a center at the University of Rhode Island, for a parent study in Daisy's Santa Monica Malibu district, but allegedly, much of that money and another $2.3 million from other sources seems to have been diverted from the Salwort bastions of the liberal arts to rest in several private bank accounts of Fellner and another accomplice for use on what, can, for use on what we can only imagine were crazy real estate ventures hookers, and blow. We mean sex workers and methyl, benzylox, methyl, azabicalo, octane, carbzylate. Well, spoiler alert, Robert Fellner was sentenced to 65 months, 
rather than the 75 years the crimes would typically get for a mere mortal, and he was recommended to take part in the residential drug abuse program at the low-security prison, uh, that is, the country club he was sentenced to. When the news came out in 2004 about this degree issue, Daisy was as surprised as everyone else. That contract which my advisor had, wink, wink, had nothing to do with confirming a degree. Oh, heaven, he even hoped the university would rescind this degree if it was given improperly. Just as Dr. Seuss did in 1957 when it was discovered his doctorate was just honorary from Dartmouth. But as we know, universities make the peasants pay and the prodigies ride the wave, especially school reformers, so onwards and upwards for Mr. Dacey. No fault, no foul, old chap, or whatever snappy New England... No fault, no foul, old chap, or whatever snappy New England accents sound like. Whatever the case, the career achievements Dacey received from having a doctorate would be hard to give back since once he was a doctor, like Doctor Who, the famed science fiction sky pilot, Dacey signed a three-year deal with Malibu and then hopped in his little time machine and took an even greater task to be superintendent of Prince George's County in Maryland, a district of about 130,000 students on the other side of the nation. My most conflicting emotions are about leaving the school district and community, Daisy told the Santa Monica Malibu Board of Education. But the orange juice is yummer this time of year in Bowie, Maryland, perhaps he was thinking. Now, Prince George's County, let's be honest, may have been thinking of Daisy, ah, warm body, since the previous superintendent, Andre Hornsby, resigned under a cloud of a federal investigation in 2005 and was ultimately convicted later that year of wire fraud, evidence tampering, and obstruction of justice. So he was in prison just in time for Dacey to sit in his old Aaron chair back in the office and start farting it up with his farts. Now, Dacey's time in the PG, that's Prince George's County, was more or less uneventful. Well, except for more people questioning his degree, as well as a few other hiccups in his resume that were, you know, you'd, you'd have some explaining to do in HR if it were you. For Dacey, these were minor bugs and they were nothing. Dacey was listed in a faculty position in the Doctoral Program of Educational Leadership and Social Justice at Loyola Marymount University, California, from 2003 to that present day when they were checking. Now... The problem is that the university's Human Resources Department could not find him listed as a current or former faculty member, according to the Southern Maryland Online. The other error on his resume was he claimed to have a master's in 1987, but he got it in 1988. But, you know, numbers are hard, especially on resumes, especially for superintendents of huge school districts. However, not all was bad with his tenure at Prince George's, and Remarkably, from 2007 to 2008, Prince George's County doubled the number of schools in which 80% of students scored proficient or advanced in reading and math on the Maryland State Exam, according to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation press release announcing that they had poached Dacey to be Deputy Director of Education so he could figure out how to spend $500 million that they wanted to invest in America's children. Suddenly leaving, that is resigning, and running schools on the PG wasn't easy. He had made a lot of politically connected friends as he traveled about promoting his ideas of reform, and he had, in the words of the Baltimore Sun, earned a national reputation for his leadership in significantly narrowing the achievement gap between low-income and minority students and their peers. He was especially known for his 
Children Come First initiative. Ew. Okay. After doing whatever weird Bohemian Grove rituals they do with the black box of philanthropy that is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for a few years, Dr. Dacey was ready to tackle more issues than appeasing Bamphomet and in 2011 managed to move into the second largest district in the country, LAUSD, hired without a national search by the then-mayor Villagrosa after many influential philanthropists and Silicon Valley entrepreneurs made a convincing pitch which may have been Google gobble, Google gobble, one of us, one of us. People were ready to hear him proselytize the virtues of charter school expansion, high stakes testing, and huge investments in technology, all of which are in line with the Gates Foundation's mission in education. And he set about making the largest tent he could build. But this tent was not stitched together with fabric and held in place with poles, but built with hundreds of thousands of dollars of travel expenses paid both publicly and by the largesse of his foundation and tech friends. Daisy was the woo-woo kid of LAUSD, sitting with Casey Wasserman of the Wasserman Foundation, Eli Broad of the Eli and Edith Broad Foundation, and Lorraine Powell Jobs, the widow of the Apple co-founder Steve Jobs, as well as dinner with the Pearson executives Cheryl King and Judy Codling, a day after the iPads for All contract was signed with Pearson as a curriculum provider who just happened to win the bid for a huge contract. To celebrate the new chummy relationship, the power brokers of Pearson and LUSD dined at Drago Central, where Chef Celestio Dragos created a menu representative of the cultural diversity of Italy, including Gilles Spaghetti alla Cetari, la Boschera con prosciutto di Parma. It is then no surprise... When the iPad for all Pearson Feed Fest turns out to be less than above board, considering his close ties to Apple, dinners, and Pearson, more dinners, prior to the supposed closed bidding process. You may say Pearson, Apple, and Daisy had proverbial pillow talk when it came time to the district to spend perhaps a billion dollars of the old taxpayer money with that supposed hush-hush RFP process. However, unlike old-fashioned pillow talk, they sweet-nothinged using email which is just stupid. According to his philanthropic and tech supporters, these love notes were nothing more than pleasantries and had nothing to do with a $1.3 billion contract. Wink, wink. Looking forward to further working together for our youth in Los Angeles. Daisy wrote to Margaret Scardino, the Pearson CEO at the time. Dear John, as all letters should start, it is I who should thank you, Scardino replied. I really... Can't wait to work with you. It sounds harmless, but this and other contact in person via email had been going on before the bidding process was opened up. When these communications came to light after the contract was a done deal, it caused a bit of an upset and an already problematic rollout, hampered by technology failures, lack of training, and, as they say, general incompetence. Steve Zimmer, school board member, questioned whether the district stifled competition with Daisy's communication prior to the contract. Hey, baby, we're dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer money. Sorry, this is California. I don't know what the accent sounds like. We have to make sure this is completely ethical and above board. He said, according to NPR. I don't know why there would have to be an RFP. Judy Codling, a Pearson executive and attendee at the $1,000 now infamous Drago Centro dinner, exclaimed via email showing how entitled she feels while not obeying the never-put-it-in-writing rule. Hey, boss, let's whack this guy. 
Let me send you a follow-up email about it. Whatever her business or ethical acumen, you can read more about her legally in the potboiler Judy Codling versus Pearson Education Incorporated as she fights breach of contract agreements regarding bonuses but makes clear she is suing Pearson Education, not Pearson PLC, etc., etc. But that's another story for another time. When things unwind, they do so quickly and for many reasons. It wasn't the emails that sunk Molly Brown Dacey, but the growing storm clouds. In 2012, Dacey went on a tour of South Korea to see how their nation achieved such high scores on tests, which is surprising since most educational leaders like to tour Scandinavia between, like to tour Scandinavia before returning home to chastise teachers and principals about what a terrible job they're doing. While he was on his working holiday, the press back home were putting him on blast for many failures of schools in the now almost semi-autonomous region of Los Angeles, with the LA Times noting that one school was rolled by the failure of a new computerized system the district relied upon to schedule the school's 1,500 students. Hundreds of students have gone without schedules, been assigned to courses they've taken already, or been locked out of classes they need for graduation. This was in addition to the already cluster that was the iPad Pearson rollout. As usual, Dacey denied any wrongdoing stemming from the effort, but questions led to increased pressure for him to step aside in October 2014. That was kind of about not long after FBI agents seized 20 boxes of documents relating to the LAUSD contracts with Apple and education publisher Pearson as part of the Common Core technology rollout. So with all this brewing, like before, he's, he moved. He moved very quickly to the broad center. And LAUSD was left to pick up the pieces, and when an iPad shatters, it is in too many. In 2015, the district sued Apple for a refund, being, quote, extremely dissatisfied with the work of Pearson, the publisher of the Common Core Learning Software, quote, while Apple and Pearson promised a state-of-the-art technological solution for the technological program implementation, they have yet to deliver it. At the time of this recording, we're not sure if the refund included the money from unused Apple protection plans. Now, Dacey's successor stepped into fellow shoes, Ramon C. Cortez. He canceled the iPad program before all the money was spent, calling it unaffordable, and the case became, wait for it, a textbook example of how not to run a curriculum technology procurement and rollout. In all, the district lost a great deal of money as well as time in a project that led to not too many educational improvements outside of students learning how to get around the firewalls to view porn or were selling the iPads for cash money, both of which are important lessons in life. LAUSD moved on with its obsession with iPads and eventually did get devices and this year in 2020 spent $100 million to purchase new laptops and Verizon Internet hotspots to ensure that no student misses out on online lessons. But since the scandal, sadly, the three partners have gone their separate ways. Apple moved on and continues to get you to update your phone and buy more Apple products. Now, Pearson PLC eventually sold their educational division for $250 million to Nexus Capital Management, a Los Angeles-based private equity firm whose commitment to students is equal to their website's mission of an, quote, opportunistic approach to investing across credit, structured debt, or equity instruments in private equity. Desi moved on to do God's work in the form of becoming superintendent-in-residence for the Eli Broads Broad Center, and then became superintendent of Stockton Unified School District, to which he resigned June 15, 2020, 
amidst an investigation, sources tell us, into his actions and possible conflicts of interest regarding, as Tolicon.com said, board trustees, the mayor, and, uh, as it seems, yet another foundation with a vague name. So, still making that orange juice, are you, Dr. Dacey? Being a superintendent of any district is a difficult and highly political job. Even the best superintendent can be bounced out for often frivolous reasons. School boards are often elected position or can be appointed by the local or state political machine, and these can change at any moment's notice, impacting the job as can the actions of angry parents, troubled students, or unpopular tax increases and budgets. That said, a track record of wonky decisions and financial voodoo should be enough to get someone out of a job or perhaps find another career. Now, while LAUSD did have some snafus and trouble, many large districts have had successful one-to-one device rollouts or technology implementations, such as Houston ISD, Broward County, and Atlanta, to name a few. And now, one final announcement. Thanks to the cleanup crew. Also, thanks to Freddie Pertero, a janitor at Thomas Starr King Middle School in Los Feliz, who was taken into custody and charged with... Huh. Hit and run. Really? What's going on out there? You can read more about the lessons learned from LAUSD in Wired Magazine's article, What Schools Must Learn from LA's iPad Debacle from 2015. You can also learn more about John in LA Magazine's The Takeover Artist. Many sources were used, including NPR and the Baltimore Sun, as well as local news sources and blogs we will be putting on our website, Scandal K12 US. Check out the show notes. If you have an educational scandal about something going on in your school or district that you think needs to be shared, send it to scandalk12us at gmail.com. We can't do a bake sale, so we have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash scandalk12us. We have school choice at the Scandal K-12 community. You can enroll at the public school level, where for $5 a month, you'll receive a shout-out to your home school or the school of your choice and early access to episodes. You can also join at the charter school, private school, or home school levels and receive benefits, some of which we're still building out. While we primarily rely on trusted, edited sources, we may also use the information found on citizen journalist websites such as blogs and forums. All parties are presumed innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law. All opinions are the opinion of the opinionator, and facts are reviewed but not guaranteed because sometimes we just don't do our homework. Thanks to all the contributors on the Freesound Project at freesound.org. Credits will be listed on our website, www.scandalk12us.com. If you like what you hear, rate us highly on whatever platform you access podcasts on, whether it's Apple or Stitcher or Spotify or is there another one? Also, please recommend us to the friends you sit with at the lunch table or the popular kids you want to impress. I'm sure a few jocks need to hear this too. Remember the saying, tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Screw me over and you're on scandal.k12.us. <laughs>